thank you for joining us today at Miniature Working Labs uh, podcast. My name is James. I'm Brian. And today our topic is what is an entry-level game? But first, Brian, why don't you let us know what you've been working on today? Well, since last uh, we talked. Oh, well, uh, so I built my desk, like I said, um, got my desk in, built, got it all built up. Um, so now I got the the zombies and uh, the vampire lords on my desk to paint for the soul blights. Um, gotta gotta keep pushing on that uh, since AOS three is coming out soon, and you know I want to have a semi painted army for that. Well, I saw you got the uh, box set in the store for the single store copy for display purposes only. I saw that came in. Yes. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. I will be definitely be reading the rules. I'm not in, I like, I love the miniatures in the box in the uh, Dominion box, but I'm not getting any of them. So it is, they are very cool and I do like their designs, but not for me. I'm not, <laughs> I don't need, I don't need more than one army for every game that I play. Yeah. I think that was a pass on me too. When I was looking at it, it's like, I'll just stick to the care drawings. Yeah. <laughs> keep I mean, moving on that. The orcs are great. The orcs are really, I like what they're doing with the orcs, but. You stand man, alone on that bad. island. <laughs> Apparently, geez. They <laughs> got so much hate for no reason. Now, if you just call them Urukai, everything would have been fine. People would look <laughs> the other way. Yeah, they kind of do have that feel to them, so. Yeah, you know, <laughs> people will get used to them. People will buy them. People will, that set will sell out. And then, you know, people won't complain about it in five days. So, well, that's one of those like, you hear plenty of people say, I hate games workshops, latest this, then they sell out. Hey, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's how, how it always goes. People, the people that complain don't buy, but everybody else is buying. So, well, and I, even the ones that are complaining will buy. I, I think I think with the Games Workshop line, a true marker of love is, did you buy two? Yes. Not that you bought one, but did you buy two? <laughs> did you buy two of them? <laughs> now, a lot of people do have a lot of complaints for the Dominion box um, due to shipping uh, problems. There's going to be some delay on some of the units. Um, so our store and I think every other store in America are getting 15 or half, at least 15 for the first uh, shipment for July 3rd release. And then the rest of their 30 order, if they've got more than 15, uh, should be here before August 7th. And then if they ordered more than 30, which I guess you could have done, um, they will be here by the end of the year. Well, then then will come the scalping and then the made to order second release yes as, as which, I think they're, which i think they're already planning on doing um because they said that it'll be here by the end of the year if you order more than 30 so i'm guessing they're just going to have another thing where it's like hey get this it'll be like indomitus you could get another 90 boxes or whatever you want and it's made to order so That'll be interesting to see. You know, uh, honestly, um, 
Now, when you got the box in, you didn't get like 40K of the um, the stand, the table stand with the display racks where no. you could put. So what I'm waiting for is the inevitable three box starter sets mm-hmm. of like, um, I don't know what they'll call it in Age of Sigmar, but it was like yeah. Recruit Edition, Elite Edition, uh, Command Edition, um, because those come with terrain. Yes, and, um, the large board. one will come with terrain. Yeah. And they have like the little folding board, which are now all standardized. So you can use it in like kill team and other stuff. But yeah, um, that's, I think I'm going to wait for that to come out. It's like at least get some terrain with it. The per per model value isn't as high, but you get different stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm hoping that they do the same thing that they did with 40K and release the, the small, uh, rule book that's just the rules i think i've Is seen that... i think they had that up on um one of their warhammer community like upcoming i think they had it in a picture somewhere i didn't really read it because i was just looking at the necromunda releases coming out soon See, that's that those are the ones i want because i could throw those in a bag and they take up no room no i love spiral nothing they are spiral bound <laughs> so you can actually open it and it'll stay open to that page Oh, you mean the General's Handbooks? Well, yeah. Well, remember the 40K General's Handbook came with um, the base rules and like, uh, what is it? The Departmento Munitorum list. So all the pointless were like yes. two separate books. So they actually had a standalone, tiny size compact rule book that was spiral bound. Um, Which would be nice. Book. Yeah. But they didn't do that for any of their future releases except for their uh, their campaign books. Yeah, because it looked like that was like a whole, there's going to be like a whole series, at least on the 40K style, these tiny little books for more travel. And when you go to like tournaments, you're taking a six by four table, but you actually have no place to set the book down. It's the middle of the gaming area. (laughs) So I I appreciate the smaller compact uh, form factor there. Yes, very much so. Yeah, it could fit in a bag, doesn't take up too much room doesn't weigh too much and you know it has just all the pertinent information instead of all this superfluous stuff well it fits in the battle foam carriers now sure does and my pack 420 i can slide the books in there (laughs) so but on my end here um i finished painting up my spqr roman calvary and so as i found when you paint 13 cavalry figures, you're actually painting 26 <laughs> models. Yeah. You got to think of it as 26 because there's the little rider guy and the little horse. <laughs> yep. And so I spent a lot of time because normally I get more stuff done, but all my effort went into painting those uh, little guys here. But also, they now those in podcast land can't see it, but only Brian can. So uh, Aaron, who lives with me, is my spouse and operator of 3dp design lab she made me this carousel she found on thingiverse that is pretty awesome so so it's a for those out there let me use my word to describe it it's a four-story paint holder basically four lazy susans stacked on each other now what happens is she found this on thingiverse and the guy who makes it lives in austria and i guess they only use like army painter and vallejo so that's these uh these two racks here so Aaron went and uh, remixed it and made it for Games Workshop Citadel bottles in here. So now when I do those painting tutorials on YouTube, no one watches. 
I can now just have my paints and instead of like searching around the tray while I'm filming, I can just spin the little wheel and grab the right one off when I need it. That is nice. That is something that I've been looking for something new to put my paints on. Well, the uh, so the Games Workshop also fits P3 on there, but I know yes. you don't use P3. But what it's made Not out is all. only the uh, paint uh, holders um, are printed. The rest of it is actually just like the steel bolt, the screw, and mm -hmm. then um, the 3D uh, filament comes on these um, little wheels and you cut the wheel in half, then you put, so these are actually four Prusa wheels for their spools of filament. You just oh, cut okay. in half and you just glue the paint holders on top of that. You put it on the little axis pull and they pivot around in there so and it comes with a little handle so you can see i can carry it around yes so actually this would be really good for the store during oh, uh, yeah. if you ever bring down paint tuesdays because it's not just carrying the box out you can actually just uh, slap that on the table oh well, yeah you can take it out of the back yeah and it's got a handle on it people will not put the paint back we know that <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> But speaking of the hobby aspects, uh, Brian, last time I was in the store, you were really interested in some stuff that came out and not on the models hobbying side, but on the terrain hobbying side. What are two things that you've brought in the store you've been pushing hard lately? Uh, so technically it'll be three things once I get the, the other part in. Um, but one of the biggest things that we can't really get in stores, um, in my store anyways, and I've been working on this, is terrain stuff. Stuff for fantasy terrain, sci-fi terrain, everything like that. And it's really hard to A, keep it in store, and B, get it in store. So Army Painter came up with this line called Game Master, which is all about making terrain by yourself. And it's all based off of XPS foam. So their first couple of things were a pad, 10 pack of uh, XPS foam sheets and a hot wire foam cutter, um, which are, you know, if you've ever built anything with XPS foam, you know, you need a hot wire foam cutter and you know that their availability is, you can't get them at regular game stores. Like you've never been able to find them at game stores unless they specifically go out of their way to get a distributor for them. And even then, like that's one out of every 500 stores. I, I would put that number on it. So it's very hard to get it in a game store. So you have to go to another, you have to go to like Hobby Lobby and they usually have like the wand ones, which are more for styrofoam and you know don't really do the job with XPS foam. They're not as rigid. Um, or then you have to go to uh, Amazon and get everything off of Amazon, which can be, you know, I mean, it's cheaper, but you're going through Amazon. You're not supporting your local economy and stuff like that. So Army Painter came around and fixed that with Game Masters. So now you're able to get a, uh, a battery powered hot wire foam cutter. Um, it's not the biggest. Um, so you're still, if you're still doing like working on big blocks, you're going to have to get something specialized for that. But this is perfect for small stuff uh, for the homemaker that's just trying to get the their terrain in order. And then 
that came out just recently is a series of spray paints that can be used on foam. Now, if you've ever used built foam terrain, uh, you know that you can't spray it with spray at all. You can't, you can't use spray paint. Yeah, just it will eat it eat away. It up. Yeah. Yep, it will melt it. It will destroy all of your hard work. Um, so this is specially formulated to spray right on without any Mod Podge or sealer or hairspray or whatever you use to seal your foam. And this can be sprayed on XPS foam, styrofoam, um, and pretty much everything else, which is absolutely amazing. And it also there's also a sealer so that once you're done, you can seal it up and you don't have to worry about it. So this is a huge step in the hobby world um, because A, you don't have to, you, you get your foam at the game store, which you haven't been able to do before. You usually have to go to Home Depot or anything like that to get your XPS foam. Um, or salvage styrofoam from boxes of, you know, computers or things that other <laughs> appliances that you've bought in the past. Um, and of course it brings it, so it brings it all these things that you can't get in game stores into game stores. So really, you know, it brings the, that hobby aspect where you had to go to five different stores to get everything all into the one store where you want to buy it. So I'm very excited about that. I think that's very cool. I think that this is a huge push in the, the hobby sector. Um, so we have tons of miniatures out there. We have tons of games out there, but homemade terrain is still, is, is still not as supported as you would think it would be. So well, seeing it being supported by such a big company like uh, Army Painter is really awesome. Well, it's... When you see that stuff is like my I remember my first games day and this is back when um, Games Workshop had like five games days in the US. So I'd go to the one in Baltimore and, you know, they'd have like these make and takes of where they like just pile these sprues on the table and then you can like make a figure and you get judged on it. And uh, the first day and they did that, that was an absolutely awesome event. But sitting around talking to everybody, I am. Um, actually found how many people there were actually intimately familiar with Michael's um, because it's like certain things just aren't for sale um, in your game store. You'll have to go to a craft store. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you see all these guys wearing like, you know, insane clown posse shirts and <laughs> Metallica shirts like, oh yeah, I was in Michael's. It was so awesome. I got this. <laughs> contradicting character stereotypes but uh oh yeah no no <laughs> like i mean i am very like i know my michaels and I, I go there and i look through their like clearance stuff and i mean there was a point where they started knowing me by name and you know i don't i don't look like a person that would ever step into michaels at all and they knew that i knew that and yet here we were you know me buying whatever they had i mean i remember going in one time and buying it was ho around halloween time and i was running a ghost archipelago uh the lost colossus uh game and one of the one of the scenarios we needed a skull like a giant skull and it was halloween and so they had this giant skull and they had a hand and i know i needed the hand for two uh, two games in the future 
And I was just like, oh, I need, I need these pieces. They're like, oh, so what are you doing? I was just like, oh, these are actually for a board game. And they're like, what? <laughs> so, you know, they don't, they get to learn something new about what their stuff goes to. And, you know, I get to find stuff that I need for my games that I can't get at game stores. Well, you know, what's fascinating about it is that that stuff isn't even sold at Model Railroad. No. Like the model, model railroad guys are way ahead in the terrain, but they don't sell it in the stores. They'll sell the trees, the building, and the flock. But the ones I've been in, they don't sell sheets of um, foam for cutting or a lot of the painting supplies. They expect you to go to the craft store. They're pushing trains. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that Army Painter is betting that stores will dedicate floor space to carrying foam and things to modify form for home game for like home terrain something that has always been outsourced so like for example you'll send me to they have like that rc car store so there's certain types of glues and everything if you guys are out um or gunpla they sell gunpla there too yeah it's like yeah just go to the store down the way so you like you outsource that um army painters army painters betting that you'll you'll bring that into the store and a lot of people will look at like the game sh- uh, workshop, like Ziggurat. Um, I forget what it's what made up word they use for it for like the um, lizard p the lizard men. But it's like, uh, should I spend seventy dollars on that, or should I spend five dollars on foam and just cut one out and then yeah. just like etch it spend, <laughs> to know, look like what I want? Yeah, I mean, if, the, if you're just getting into it, I mean, you could spend the seventy dollars on the terrain kit. Or you spend $70 on everything you need to build that terrain kit with foam and you still have the hot wire foam cutter, which that was $20 of that. So then you could use that forever. Um, And then you'll have, you know, enough foam afterwards to do something else with and the spray to do, you know, do other projects. So, I mean, yeah, you're going to start, you're going to spend the same amount, but you're going to be able to do a whole lot more with that $70 if you build the foam route. Well, now I'll just wait for uh, Army Painter to come out with the uh, balsa wood, Army Painter themed balsa wood. <laughs> Army, <laughs> Army Painter, like a tiny jigsaw table. <laughs> Instead of pine wood derbies, it's going to yeah. be pine wood terrain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think what that brings in is just a lower barrier of entry. So you come in, you buy your models and you're coming to the store, but you're like, you know, I don't want to use a stack of books or a cereal box to be my terrain. Where do I go from here? So normally in the life cycle to gamer, it's a long time before you make that leap into Michael's and then start figuring it out. But if the display of foam and things to cut foam and, you know, you no longer have to seal it. That's a big thing right there not having to seal the foam before you uh, paint it with a spray paint, but it lowers that barrier of entry. Yeah. It's like, okay, so this is the next step. So I've started on this rack on the right and I keep moving left and then I'll make my own terrain. And for you as a store, there might actually be a huge untapped market for people who want to build their own terrain. I mean, even just boulders. It's like, I, Oh yeah. I mean, I can 3D print them or I can like try to cut one out, which would be faster and less messy. <laughs> that, that's yes. debatable. <laughs> but you could also personalize it. You could make it how big you want. If you want a big piece or you just, you know, you want a couple small pieces. I mean, I made like 
little like you know ice covered rocks for Frostgrave, and you know they're not you know they're not super realistic, but you know they're great terrain. <laughs> that's the thing with like fantasy terrain and everything; it doesn't have to be realistic. It just has to look cool. Well, you know that um, I am reminded there was one time I was taking a tour of this facility. And they had, um, they were showing me like their model makers and like, um, yeah, they offered a chance to go tour the model making shop. And uh, I had my little brother, my wife with me because it was like an open tour of this facility. I said, okay, we'll let friends and family come visit. And we had just left like games day and like participate in there and like uh, try to compete in Golden Demon, but never even got close. So you go from like that hobbyist games day, like precision and like, okay, now let me go to this uh, facility here and let's see what they're working on. And it's like, oh, this should be magnificent. These guys are like in their forties to sixties. This is their life is to build models or professionals. And so they had a couple display pieces of what they wanted to show. And so they had like some building on red square, like in Moscow, like they reassembled, like, they made a little model mm-hmm. of it. And I was looking at it and it's like, this would not even get looked at at games day. This would not even. And I, so I asked them how, who are your modelers? Cause I was thinking there's like an unemployed 22 year old living in the basement of his mom's townhouse in like uh, Odenton, Maryland, who can make a better model than what you have right here. And you're like yeah. a trained professional where do you get your modelers? And he goes, uh, dentistry schools. And I was like, dentistry schools, how? Well, was, well, when we opened the shop, and this was back in the 60s, um, a lot of the tools to make these models were dentistry tools. And so we figured we go hire dentists to make these models. And I was like, that is really, and in, you know what? That is outside the box thinking. I will hand it to you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I would normally just seek model makers and say, how would you make this model? Not like, hey, I need to use this tool. Who knows how to use it? So it's, it's contraindicative thinking. But I was like, you know, there's some guys who would work for a lot less who can make better stuff than this. Like the little joints, oh, yeah. the roof tiles, you know, like the little egg-shaped buildings in like Moscow Square. Like the joints, the roof tiles weren't matching up at the pinnacles. They're like they're cocked a little bit and like not all the brick but then you had to make the tools they they knew how to use the tool to make that mismatch slap (laughs) (laughs) as i digress here um so the main topic that i want to talk about this episode we've kept hinting around about it is what is a beginner game and we normally get accidentally drawn into this when we discuss planet 28 or star grave uh, but I think in the last episode we did it together, I mentioned Drug War Z. And uh, this is by Brigade Games, a guy named Richard Johnson. And so normally when we bring, uh, we've talked about rule books, and the latest trend is rule books is like, we always say, you know, only 12 pages out of this whole thick book are actually rules. Or, you know, most of this book is just like factions or equipment lists. I want to show you, like... Uh, 50 of these 58 pages are rules. So it was such a shock because we've been fed a constant diet of like Games Workshop trying to stream down rules. 
minus Age of Sigmar, the rulebook keeps getting bigger each edition. That's um, true. Yeah. But Osprey Games, uh, specifically Joseph and McCullough, have really been pushing this, lowering the barrier of entry. So it's just a real, you know, shock to the system and threw me back in time to see a rulebook uh, that was literally nothing but rules. There was no fluff. There's like one page of fluff. Um, hmm. But for example, when you take Planet 28, which is a really short zine, they have three types of terrain, um, open terrain, they have uh, rough terrain, and no-go terrain, stuff you're not getting by. Yeah. So in this game, they have incidental, light, medium, heavy, fortifications, linear obstacles, heavy linear obstacles. <laughs> so, and they broke that, it down. Yeah, and then they have like, well, dips and folds. Now, this is something you might not be able to model in your table, but would exist in real life, the natural curvature. So you can declare that the piece of the board has dips and folds in the ground. Uh, so you can put that on there too. And then um, when you see the models running around, they all have like um, either uh, assault rifles, submachine guns, or like pistols, like the yeah. models they made for this game. And you think, gosh, I wonder why. Well, there's different weapon point costs but then you get like the movement rate of fire tables uh, where like, well, if you move this much, the rate of fire is halved and the range decreases. And so there's some tables there, unless you have these types of weapons or <laughs> you have a scope. Now, if you're charging, but charging with grenades, now can you snapshot from the hip? So it's like, it just brought a level of complexity that I haven't seen in a lot of recently released uh, rule books out there. And it, it really like, what is an entry level game though? That is a question that I've been, you know, wrestling with for a while now. Um, because I mean, I play a lot of RPGs and I really like the the rules light or the zines and like the, the less rules, the better for me. And although there's a lot of these games out there that I feel are super accessible because they, you know, they're not, they don't have a lot of rules bogging you down they don't have a lot of stuff you know it's small books you don't need to buy a lot you know barrier for entry is very low the pop the most popular games are still going to be Dungeons and Dragons and 40k and AOS and Pathfinder all all of those are heavy heavy rules and it caught me thinking are these rules light games actually good for beginners? And because so when you think about it, you think, well, less rules means that, you know, less things people need to learn. Easy, right? That's going to be that's going to lower the, the barrier to entry. That's going to allow more people to play. Yes. That is true, but only if they have that frame of mind of how to play a game already. Now, see, that's the biggest thing is getting into a new game. The, the, the games that are rules light and don't have a lot of rules, I find are better for people that have played games before, that have played Dungeons Dragons and played 40K and are looking to get into something else. They are meant for the gamer that has experience but is still new to the gaming world. Now, for the people that have not played a game before, that are interested in gaming, 
I think that the rules light games are a complete turnoff and will push people away due to them not having that frame of mind to think about how games work and how to extrapolate rules from a lack of rules. So having that like D&D and 40k mindset and rule set being, okay, well, I'm new to the game and this game has every step laid out for me. If I do this and this, this happens. And there's a rule for that. If I want to do this, I there's this rule. If I want to do this, there's this rule. And so they learn by utilizing the rules that are given to them. So they learn how to play a game through the steps that are given to them through the game. So I, I do think... You know, it's 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 hard to say because I mean, some people don't like see the amount of rules for 40k and D and D, and are like, "Whoa, I don't want to play that. That's that's a lot. I don't want to read ten books just to be able to get into this game. Give me something easy." And then they get something easy, and they're like, "Well, I don't know how to play this. I've never played a game before." And it's... Yeah. Well, that that reminds me. Back in the uh, '90s, like had the D and D second, so a D and D second edition book. And so that leads off with character creation, then how to do combat, and then how to do saving throws. And then from that, the complexity was handed off to the game, the, the DM, and he'd run you through like whatever adventure was out there. So, but you knew, okay, I knew how to con- I knew how to fight and not fight. And there were tables and proficiency skills that could all handle that. Then someone showed me uh, Vampire the Masquerade and um, it flipped through there and it's like, where's the tables? Where's the character creation? It's like, you're just living in the story in your head. And it's like, you know, I think the wargaming analogy is like when the original wargaming book, Little Wars, was written, is because, you know, two adult men were sitting on the ground, pushing their Napoleonic soldiers through here and like going pew, 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 pew. But instead of saying, you know, let's just not use my imagination or say, no, your guy's dead. I shot him. Like, why don't we have like some form of random mechanism to determine whether the shot hit or not? Now, could you ever imagine playing a war game where I put down my dwarves and you put down your orcs and I say, well, my dwarves kill your orcs over there. Ah, no, that, that's playground level stuff. Okay, that's, yeah. <laughs> let's keep that on the playground. I need tables and I need dice. Otherwise, we're just playing make-believe on the tabletop. Exactly. There has to be structure to avoid what you're... I think what you're describing is confusion. So if you're a new player and you read and you're playing Planet 28 and you read it and say, okay, now what do I do? Because like board games where most people have as a kid, here's how you start. Here's all you follow this one track. Here's all the potentialities. And then you're done. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like stuff like uh, Rifts and AD&D, they created enough tables and charts to say, well, what should I do in this situation? Well, you know what? There's a proficiency skill. I have armor, a shield. So I know what to do. And there's a table that goes with it. So if there's ever confusion, I have some place to consult. There is a point of diminishing returns of when you make a rule set lighter that anyone who's never played a war game can go, well, what do I do now? Because a lot of these like Zona Alpha or Planet 28, we're just relying on the convention. We know what we've done in the past with other games. Yeah. And then we can they're not meant blanks. for new beginners because they're they're expecting you to know how to play games already. And they're yeah. expecting you to have, 
you know, a base knowledge of miniature games and gaming in general. Now, I think we should have a tautological distinction between new games for existing war gamers and new games for new war gamers. So now yes. if, I was, uh, if I was a gaming Sherpa and I wanted to convince someone to get into war gaming, I might pull out Planet 28 because there's very few rules. I can show them on the page, like, okay, it's this rule. I'm not getting out my tome. <laughs> and see, personally, I would pull out like Frostgrave or Stargrave because, yeah, that's not as much as like 40K, but, you know, here, here's, if you want to do something, here's the rules for it. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about coming up with it yourself. Joseph Bakula lays everything out for you. Well, so here's something I've noticed going through, I've bought enough rule books here, is that when I read Drug War Z, what I found is there are no faction pages. So they say there's factions like cartel, DEA agents, mercenaries, crazy people, and zombies. But when you build a faction, there's no faction specific rules. So when like Games Workshop sells like the stripped down rule book, we've talked before, like the little tiny pamphlet. Yep. Those are all the rules. However, it's when you play a particular faction that you start throwing all these other rules in. And I was thinking from a new player perspective, you know, even though Drug War Z is long and dense on rules, it is literally all the rules in one spot. I don't have to worry about being a new player, showing up in a game and then playing your Drukari or Dark Elder and say, oh, didn't you know about this rule in my latest release codex that yeah, you never exactly. bought? I mean, that is one thing with like, it's the bloat of rules is, you know, with, with 40 K it's like, you need the base book. You need your codex. You need any supplements that go with your codex. You need that white dwarf that fixes the things you need the, the chapter approved to fix your points. You need the, you know, the 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 campaign book to add that new rule that you need and you need you know you need 20 books just to play the game where i mean is good because i mean you have rules to do everything so the people you know the the people that haven't figured out how to think outside of the box yet um and are still trying to are still figuring that out they have something to do they know well all my rules are set out here. It's like, I, I, if I do this, this happens. And if I do this, I can do this. So, you know, having those rules, but yeah, they're right. There is a point where, you know, it's too much, no matter which way you look at it. Well, you know, I think you brought out, I said, I'd pull out planet 28. You said you'd pull out Stargrave. I think my issue with that is like, if someone came over to the gaming room I had in the house and I pulled out planet 28, I know they could read the rules in what, seven minutes because there's only so many pages i think stargrave and frostgrave so the stuff joseph mccullough writes it can be done of where an experienced gamer and a beginner gamer can pick it up and there's no confusion yes there so a beginning ba beginning gamer can pick up stargrave and know what to do after reading the book now he does have it where he has like um com uh, complexity normally comes in the special skills um so like the captain and the first mate get like these special powers and abilities and you get like fancy equipment so the rules are small but like all these little add-on extra extra add-ons 
to those characters can modify and that's where the complexity comes in yeah to that um but i think you know if i brought someone over and i was like you know trying to twist their arm into playing if i pulled out Frostgrave or Stargrave, like, oh, I don't have time to read this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah, there is a lot more to read, which is why, like, I love Planet 28 and Zine Games. And Nick Evans just does a phenomenal job of, you know, describing his games and making his games accessible to a lot of people. Yeah, but I, I can see your point as a, um, when you're managing the store and someone says, I want an entry-level game, you know they're not going to be there you're not going to be able to Sherpa them through yes. like the, the book. So it's like, okay, here's Stargrave and Frostgrave, read it. Um, and I think a lot of times with more complex games, I think everyone does this of where you read the rule book, you play one, and then how many times do you have to play it before you actually get the rules down? Because you like, oh, play a game. Five or six at least. Yeah. Well, it, it was funny. I was, I was watching a YouTube Beef the Dirt League. I don't know if you're familiar. They they I'm talk not, about games. No. Okay. So they're like um, Kiwis and uh, they play like PC games and they're talking about like certain PC games of like how long should you play a PC game before it's fun? So they're talking about like um, oh, something soul. Like they play PUBG. Dark Souls. Uh, Dark Souls. And it's yeah. like holy crap, how hard is this game? Yeah, so like, that is nowhere near a beginner's game. That is <laughs> extremely difficult. So I, I think the thing is, how many times, the thing about being an entry-level game, is it um, two times and it's fun? Like, you know what you're doing? So yeah. how many times will you run through? So I think, I mean, how many times do you play infinity before you won a game oh a lot it was it was a lot like i it, more than you know more than 10 honestly i mean unless it was against my one friend he's i don't know yet no it still took me a long time and you know even even when I went to like tournaments and everything, you know, when I was like six, seven years into the game and that was the only game I played, you know, I had, you know, I was, I was a judge at a couple tournaments and there was even a time when I was a judge and I got like, so it was like, no, that's the wrong ruling. And I'm like, well, I don't really know the rules that well then <laughs> because I mean, it is a complex game. Um, with a lot of rules and a lot of micro rules that, you know, build, build upon each other. So yeah, no, it is, it's, it was still a lot of fun. Um, but I think I got the hang of the game within three or four times of playing it. Winning was a whole different thing. That's, that's all strategy and things and strategy has to be learned. Um, but yeah, no, I've played other games where, I didn't have fun with it the first time. And I always give games multiple chances because, you know, it could just be the turn. It could just be the person I'm playing. It could be, you know, the day I was having, it could just be, you know, I didn't read something right and we did it wrong. So I always play at least something twice. And there's been a couple games where the, after two or three times playing it weren't fun or I didn't have a, like a grasp of it. And those games kind of like got pushed aside and didn't really like them. Um, 
but you know, it's the, it's, I think, I think you're right. It is the games that like you could play once or twice and you're like, Oh wow. Yeah, no, I've got the hang of this. Like I'm going to have to practice a little bit more to get like the full scope of it. But like, I want to play this again. Well, no, what it made me think of was um, the things that make the games more fun to a new player uh, quickly are the things that can be annoying to like tournament players. So let's, so the chance, the control chance versus chaos. So let's take something like Gaslands of like great game to show new players, because even though it has some complexity to it, what do you do? You roll around. I set your car on fire. You set my car on fire. But, you know, if you try to really like game it at a tournament level, there's no real way to like min max it, like no real way to like pit your intellect. So the difference would be playing like, um, you know, just playing the lottery versus playing poker. Yeah. Like for a new player, playing the lottery is a simple game to show up, pick some numbers, you hit or you miss. But poker, you actually want to influence the game and have agency over it. So it's that chaos versus chance there. Um, And the chaos can be fun, but I think a lot of companies have realized that it's your tournament players that, you know, drive your sales and drive the meta and the uh, internet lists of what people copy and um, all stuff we've talked about before there. But so the idea of like, if you had to demo a game at like, um, like any of the term, like Gen Con, Adepticon, yeah. Uh, Nova open the, the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. You've demoed games. It's like, it's easy to have a cards on tracks and just run in circles. Yes. But like when people try to like um, uh, demo like 40 K what's the first thing you do. Okay. Here's two squads and a boss. Wasn't that fun? It's like, yes, but no one plays that way. No, no <laughs> one plays. I, you can't even play games that way. I mean, they give you like scenarios and like, um, what's, last edition eighth edition they had the little scenario box like the first way to get the reavers yes isn't that special pack and they walked you through and like the new recruit and elite edition are kind of like that like okay start with three guys and you're fighting three guys it's the only time you play like that so that's like uh but in video games that's like just the practice yeah the tutorial page yeah so those, those are tutorial games those aren't real in any way no because you imagine like showing up at your napoleonics now you're playing <laughs> french hussars <laughs> your commander is inept you're ba- based on the reverse slope of a hill you're firing into the wind <laughs> i i have to say when i was a kid i went to go see some cousins down in texas and we went into this game store and uh my cousins uh, were in ad and d all second edition also so we went in there and i saw these guys playing this game and it must have been like shoot like an eight by eight table and it was like a naval war game and i was listening to them talk as they push like their pacific battle fleets around this table and it's like they were ca- they were calculating like uh the pitch and roll of the ship versus the elevation of the guns like you know oh, air geez. wind speed velocity and like humidity level and armor penetration on the other ship i was like holy crap that you know what that's a real like naval postgraduate school war yeah, game. Yeah, that right is there. that is a lot. I <laughs> would, I would be bored instantly with that game. <laughs> now we now we just hand that over to computers. Computer, yes. <laughs> just shoot at that skip. 
Did I hit? Oh, cool. I didn't. <laughs> oh, well, it's so I think let's sum up here. So um, how big is the rule book? Yep, and how many potential one. interactions there are into it? So and how many basic rule books? Yes. Yes. Because 40K, you need at minimum two books. Dungeon Dragons, you need a minimum of two books. Um, but you go to like Frostgrave or you know other games, you only need one book. So I think I think definitely how many books comes into play as well. All right. So quick sidebar here. I think in D&D 5th edition, you only really need one rule book. You, that, that, that is true. If you're yes. a player, now if you're the GM, you lim- need three the, at least. Pay, yeah, you need. Then there's all the other... Because I remember being in the store and someone came in and was asking about 5th edition. He's like, well, I bought my daughter the player's handbook. What else do I need? And I explained, dude, you're done. Yeah, if you're just done. playing... But so many consumers have been... We talked about expansions last time have been trained that the entry book is not the end of the journey. Um, in games like Stargrave and Frostgrave, Oathmark, stuff something they call it, it can be the end and the beginning. Yeah, All in exactly. one, you, you can be done there. <laughs> yep. If you, got the, if you got the imagination for it, I need one book for anything. Well, it's like um, with Bane of Kings. Do you need chariots? I don't have any chariots. I don't need that book. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, so... Let's see, like, so there's the books. Um, there's how many games before it's fun. I think that's a big one there, especially on new players. Yes. Um, and how much a priori experience do you need before you could handle this book? So is it detailed enough for you not to know things? And um, my favorite one is um, My Little Pony, the collectible card game. Mm-hmm. As it serves as an excellent example of how a company can mismanage a game because the only way I understood that rule book is I had played Magic and I said, oh, this is a knockoff of Magic the Gathering. They in no way explained. So I can understand very quickly how young people and their parents like, hey, dad, can I buy my little pony card game? Sure. You read the rule book what's a phase tap what the hell are you talking about in here and that quickly crapped that game out even though it's an excellent intro game if you want to get young players into magic well my little pony was not is not made for children <laughs> it is it is made for men in their 30s <laughs> and their 40s obviously i've i've been at i've been at uh Baltimore, Baltimore, Washington International after BronyCon's finished. And you can tell when they get on the plane. <laughs> Walking down the hall, say, you know what? He's been to BronyCon. I'm going to guess by the giant Applejack he's carrying under his left arm. Yep. <laughs> uh, now, their RPG they've done a good job with, but that was a whole different company. Yes. Instead of six attributes, they winnowed it down to three. So, but we digress here. We digress. My daughter quickly evolved into D&D. So she wanted a cat that could kill something. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can't do that in My Little Pony. <laughs> yes, you can. I started to keep on telling her. It has rules for combat in there. They just kind of downplay it with headbutts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they don't emphasize that part of the game. Let's just put it that way. But uh, yes. All right. 
So for the next step, Brian, let's talk about our horizon scan. What are you looking forward to coming out uh, in the next couple of weeks here? Well, I don't know if it's going to be out in the next couple of weeks, um, but there's Kickstarter up um, by Nick Evans, you know, um, Brutal Quest and uh, Planet 28. Uh, he has another one, and this is his uh, mass battle game. Um, you know, that's that's the progression. You do you do skirmish, skirmish, mass battle. Now that's that is the that is the progression of creating games nowadays. Um, so this is sure. Called sure I understand. Tiny... You you torture animals, you stalk people, then you move on to serial killing. I got you. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the progression. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is called Super Tiny Giant Battles, um, and it's all go. It's on Kickstarter um, as of today, the twenty first. There will be eleven days left. Um, so if you're hearing this before those eleven days are up um check it out um and in the future it'll probably be available still it's going to be another zine because that is what nick evans specializes in but this is all going to be uh paper miniatures and of course it's going to be like you know super small table you're going to have a bunch of paper miniatures of uh depicting like crowds of your whatever army you have and i'm excited to see what happens with it because you know I want to play this game because it's, I could cut it out. I could cut out my army out of paper and, you know, 10 cents of printing gets me an entire army. Count me in. <laughs> well, so now let's talk about this. So Oathmark mass battle game on squares. Technically we could just cut out squares or you actually have enough spare bases that you could just put bases down. Now oh, there wouldn't be sure, any yes. artwork. So why this mass battle game and not that mass battle game? Well, I mean, I played both, but... Um, you don't play Oathmark. You, I thought you passed on Oathmark. No, I didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't, no, see, I have, I don't see out there a square-based army out there. I have a square-based army. <laughs> not, not one you took off someone else who like gave up. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> no, actually, that's what I have. Okay. <laughs> I have a goblin army from uh, fantasy battles that's still on square bases, so okay, it works. No. But so, I'm also converting. I, I have bases and everything to convert my uh, vampire lords into that. So okay, so the what? I think the one part that caught my attention. What's the table size on this one? Does he say? Um, let me find out. I'm not sure. Okay. Because um, I only did a preliminary look at it. Um, <laughs> you just saw Nick Evans. <laughs> no. I saw Nick done. Evans and I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> Bye. Back that down. <laughs> um, so, let's see. Simple rules. It looks like a one foot by one foot. Yeah, that's that, what it looks like. Okay, now that I might have to look at that because that is an interesting idea. It's small. Yeah, because I thought well maybe three by three or four by four, but one foot by one foot for a mass battle game. Pretty that's dang smaller good. Than, that's smaller than Risk. Yes. Yeah, because so it says it comes with a full set of rules and scenarios, two paper armies, um, a set of templates. 
a fold-out paper battlefield to get gaming on, and two six-sided dice. And it all fits in an A5 bag for each transport. So, pretty good. That is extremely small. Yeah, that's... Does he have a demo on there? Okay, this is something I'm going to have to look at more. Is that that is a fat. I wonder because there's so many. Like, how does he do that? So apparently, it's an A3 size playmat. How tiny are these pieces of paper? <laughs> like small, okay. very small. Which is why I'm excited for this. Like, I could just like put it in my pack and it's like, okay, just bust it out, and I have everything I need to play. Okay. Interesting. I'll have to go check. How much is that one? Um, Because I think when this goes up to air, it'll have six days left on that Kickstarter. So pledging starts at... So to get the full physical copy, it's 10 euros, which is about $14. Um, and then the print and play is $5. Or three okay, euros wow. for yeah. you know, the people that aren't in the US. So... I, extremely affordable i mean i will throw 14 dollars at a full game any day yeah i mean yeah that's a that's a good price right there interesting okay so i think the thing i'm looking forward to and this just came up today is it's called funky pop and it's a line of funky pop it's from a line of miniatures by funky skull games so these are the guys that do Street War NYC. So that was based okay. on the 1978 movie um, uh, Warriors. Uh, what these are is this is more a throwback to pop, pop culture icons. And so they have, uh, they call it Dueling Sea Dogs, Teen Adventurers, and Daring Detectives. And so I've seen those. Yes. yes. I was so that, wondering if you knew about those because yes. Yeah. I saw the daring sea dogs. I'm like, that's Popeye. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, the ones I'm interested in are, um, uh, chunk and, uh, sloth. Yeah. So the Goonies yeah. in 28 millimeter. <laughs> and so Ian McDonald, he runs uh, that company out of Scotland. I've been trying to uh, get an interview him, but there's a huge time difference and his wife's about to have a kid. But uh, I was looking at those and it's like, you know what? I could have uh, Popeye in 28 mil. <laughs> yeah. Or what, what, is, what was the other one? Was it Rin Tin Tin? Or... Yeah. Um, yeah. I, well, so he's going to have more along this line. But so I think he's going to do Rin Tin Tin in there. That's the Daring Detectives. Yeah. Um, Dueling Sea Dogs is Popeye and Bluto and Olive Oil. It looks more like the Robin Williams movie. Yes. In the cartoon, which I think is fair. Robin Williams did an excellent job in that movie. Yes, he did. And uh, now the ones I really wanted is I wanted the Fratellis. So um, Mama Fratelli and her two sons, mm -hmm. who are the villains from uh, Goonies. Yes. Those could fit in a lot of, you know, two guys carrying guns. I could use those in all sorts of different games. Yeah, I could you use those for Drug War Z or... Yeah, Street Wars NYC. So it's like, got the kids, but I need the Fatellis. Yes. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> that that's the one I'm interested in. And um, I was missing a game. I uh, I was missing a gang for Street Wars NYC, the Warriors. But it's like I didn't want to pay shipping from Scotland just for like one gang. So it's like, but I have everything else. So this just adds stuff out there. It's like okay, yeah, now I can bulk out. <laughs> I can justify the shipping by spending yes. more money. I'm saving money. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's that's the that's the only way to think about it. <laughs> no, if only there was like some distributor that like, would go through like uh, UK and Europe and just gather up all the minis I wanted, just like the small little sets, and just send it in like one crate to me, so I wouldn't get like nickel and dime and all the shipping and handling there. I know. No. Oh well, all the Australian and. Uh, New Zealand games just have to write those off. It's like I'm sorry, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not paying <laughs> for that. Don't exist. Yeah, those don't. Those That's are not dead a to real me. place. <laughs> like, that, Battlefront has figured it out, but anyone besides it, nope. You know, uh, it's unless, unless you got a U.S. distributor, I'm not interested. I'm not going to yeah. ship your MDF from Australia to me. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally a block of wood. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So, Brian, before we sign off here, in-store gaming coming soon? August is our official date. Um, I will be planning my first uh, draft for MTG come August. Around that first week of August, that's my birthday. So, um, <laughs> That's my know. birthday, too. Is it... Or is it? Or, or is it? You'll, you'll never have steal my identity, Brian. I know you're trying to. <laughs> One of these days, <laughs> I would have gotten away with it too. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, we would be open sooner because the whole state opens up on July 1st. Um, but you know, we're going through some changes. We're getting some new shelving and doing a small renovation and. We want to take it a little bit slower because, you know, we don't want to be doing all this while people are playing because it just gets too crowded. So, Well, I saw there's actually an official Games Workshop tournament set for Albuquerque. The uh, Albuquerque Reopen tournament's coming up soon. Uh, and that's supposed to be... Uh, uh, that's not official Games Workshop. No. Let me... I'm going to have to go back and check that Facebook post because I thought they said... Yeah, that was... I mean, it's not like it's not by Games Workshop. Okay, I was kind of surprised. Is, no, that is that was that is by a community member, and uh, is I think will be ITC. Um, oh, okay. So I don't think uh, the 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 guy that runs the Games Workshop can run actual games or tournaments, so. Or wants to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we'll call that an end of an episode here. Yep. So thank you for joining us at Miniature Wargaming Labs. My name is James. I'm Brian. And we'll see you next time. All right.